the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. We are delighted to do so once again with Rabbi Pinchas Salush. We try and do these uh, last hours on Fridays when the rabbi is in town to kind of uh, get us out of the uh, quotidian political angst that we live in uh, throughout the rest of the week and uh, prepare for more of a a Sabbath consciousness, if you will, a little bit of a reprieve from the uh, from the daily, and think more a little bit little bit more about the eternal. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. A L L O U C H E is how he spells his name. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, and that is Beth, like B E T H, and Tefillah T E F I L L A H, as he says. All are welcome, whether you are uh, Jewish or not, or whether you are uh, you are uh, observant or not. And um, that's kind of, Rabbi, that's kind of, first of all, welcome. Good to Thank see you, you again. Always a pleasure being here. Thank you, Seth. I was actually thinking about, we always kind of introduce you that way, saying that all are welcome. Right. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, because we've talked previously about how Judaism does not actively engage in the seeking out of converts, and there are certain obligations even to, poss- to potentially t- to turn potential converts away when they, when they at first express interest of it, on it. I was thinking about that in relationship to the portion, the biblical, the Torah portion of the week, where uh, we have this line uh, toward the end in Deuteronomy, God did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you are the fewest of all peoples. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting on that. We never really cared about numbers in that certain respect, perhaps. I don't know if you have a, a, a further thought on that's that. That's right, yeah. We cared more about quality than quantity. Yeah. And that's true. Um, but the reason we also don't proselyte others is because we really believe, like we've said in the past, that the world is like one big symphony and yeah. everyone has his own unique instrument to play. Yeah. Judaism is one instrument and other religions have other instruments. So we do not want you to take, uh, want to take you away from an instrument that may belong to you. Yes, that's right. Uh, on the other hand, we do believe in sharing the beauty of our instrument to, uh, with the whole world. And that's why we say, indeed, that everyone is welcome. You know, uh, our... The name of our congregation is, as you mentioned, is Beth Tefillah, which means the house of prayer. And it's really taken from the verse in Isaiah that speaks about the Jerusalem temple as the house of prayer for all nations. So we try to emulate that temple, that Jerusalem temple, and also open our doors to all nations. Yeah, well, I, that, that's, that's, it's a fascinating line, too, because when you think there are other portions, por- portions of the Bible or the Torah that do talk about the multitudes. So it's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting thing. But at the end of the day, I guess I also read it to mean that in any respect, truth is not determined by numbers either. And I've always thought that was an important thing with respect to this country. You know, uh, Just because a majority or the bulk of a population says something doesn't necessarily mean that it has a claim on either religious truth or political truth either. 
That's right. And, and that is also why you will find in the Bible that when God commands either Moses or even King David to count the nation, he does not ask them to count bodies. Right. Rather, he asks them to count the sums that those people in the nation will have to bring to God, to the tabernacle or whatever, to the temple in Jerusalem. And the reason is because God is teaching us that our strength is not in our bodies mm-hmm. and how many bodies there are. Mm-hmm. Our strength in, is, is in what our bodies can produce, what our bodies can give. Uh-huh. That's where you'll find the true strength of people. And in a way, I think the Jewish people have uh, uh, very much been educated and, and infused with that value. Maybe this is also why you'll find Jews everywhere, whether on the names of hospitals or museums or the Nobel Prize winners, because we've been inculcated since, since our very birth that our true strength in, is in our giving. Mm-hmm. We are what we give, mm-hmm. and we only truly own what we give. Mm-hmm. That's a deep point when you think about that and numbers. I don't know what the population of Judaism is in the world, but I think last I looked, it's probably something like uh, half of a percent of that, the world population. That's right, 0.002%. Yeah. There's a great uh, American write, writer by the name of David Himmelfarb yeah. who says that the number of Jews in the world is smaller than the error in the Chinese census. <laughs> 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 well, I did this backwards a little bit. We usually end up with the uh, quoting, quoting and discussing from the portion of the week. We usually lead up to it with your podcast. So let me return to your podcast, if I might. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful titled, wonderfully titled podcast, What True Love is All About. That's this week's episode, I should say, What True Love is All About. So I want to have a long talk with you about love, Rabbi. Can okay. we have a long talk about love? Absolutely. We can try. We can try. Again, you can get the Rabbi's uh, podcast at Apple Podcasts. They're only about four minutes long, and they give you a, a lifetime's worth of, of, um, of thinking. Um, you start, you set it up with a very familiar uh, m- moment in, 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 in at least theater, uh, and that's from uh, The Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, which is an old, based on an old uh, Yiddish story, uh, Tevya the Milkman or Tevya the Dairyman. Uh, Tevya asks his wife, do you love me? You take it from there. Right. You, you may recall, your listeners may recall that scene. Yep. Do you love me? Right. And uh, his wife, Golda, refuses to answer. And then she reaches the conclusion, well, for 25 years I've fed you, I've washed your clothes, I've made your bed. I've done all this for you. If this is not love, then what is? And uh, the direction of this podcast is really speaking of Golda's response because, indeed, love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. Love is when I can devote myself time and time again with consistency to my beloved. And um, in a way, then love will be developed. Love will be achieved. And she concludes, or he concludes, or together they conclude after this long list of things that they have been doing together over the years, the conclusion is, I guess I do love you, right? Right. She's forced into this admission, I guess. And the point you're making here, or one of the points you make here, is that love comes from a lot of work. It comes from a lot of toil. It's Love at first sight is probably a very elusive thing. Right. I know the expression of love at first sight 
But I don't believe that that exists simply because, as you just mentioned, love takes a lot of work. What may appear at first sight is lust or maybe, maybe compassion, but certainly not love. For love to uh, be achieved, one needs to really, really work on it. And uh, it's not something that, unfortunately, we see much these days because if it's broken, why fix it? But love comes through repairing the broken, through getting at it and at it and at it again and again. And then we can achieve love. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. I'll confess uh, about something. Um, but, you know, officiated a lot of weddings. Yeah. And what is most moving to me, the moment that really penetrates my heart, is that moment not in which the bride may kiss the groom mm-hmm. or the groom may kiss the bride and then they eventually kiss. It's nice. It's romantic. I don't call that love yet. Mm-hmm. The moment that is really most moving to me is the moment in which the parents of the bride or the parents of the groom for a second look at each other with that sense of, of tremendous satisfaction. And that look, that gaze is to me true love because it's a gaze that came after so much work. And yet they see finally the fruits of their labor. That's love. You know, that's. I want to return to that um, in a moment. That's beautiful, and I do want to return to it. I, I want to think a bit um, a moment about you officiating and others who officiate weddings. Um, the ideal, it seems to me, and I'm guessing that you advise that when a couple does decide to become engaged, that you don't want that engagement, as you sometimes will see in life or society, to go on for a long time. You want to get to the med- to the wedding. My understanding is you want to get to the wedding as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. These one-year, two-year engagements tend tend to be um, not great ideas or not recommended, and yet they're all around. Is the point of that quickness or the speed to the wedding, is the point of that so that there is a speed to getting to love? That's the point I guess I'm making. The wedding isn't the event. The marriage is the event. And the marriage is what builds the love. You're trying to hurry up to get to the building of love. That's correct. Okay. To get to the actual building, yeah. to yeah. building both as a noun and yeah. as a verb. Yeah. yeah, That's correct. Okay. And that's why Judaism really very much encourages the engagement to be a period to be as short as possible. And I will say that I've too often encountered couples who took their time for a long time, right? A year, two years, three years. They were engaging for four years. And by the time the wedding comes, they have no strength left yeah. for love itself. That's right. That's right. Let me pick up on more with love and Rabbi Alush when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Rabbi Pinchas Alush, the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Oh, dear Lord. You did this to us, Rabbi. You did this to us. My uh, my producer, David, he acted. He played in um, some production of Fiddler on the Roof somewhere. So we're now going to uh, be punished with this, I suppose. But um, that's what it's about. Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard. Beth and Tefillah is T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H. We're talking about love, the title of this week's podcast, What True Love is all about. So an issue uh, an issue you and I return to often rabbi is the issue of things that last and durability and not having relationships become disposable. 
And so this notion that I'm picking up from what you're laying down with the toil that is required to achieve love, the work and the deeds that go into building love, is when you think of relationships that do fall apart, uh, it's it's a, it's an odd thing because you think you think of a marriage, you think of your vows, you think of those kinds of things as being durable, as being permanent, or at least to the end of your life. But so many of them do break up, and it and I wonder if there's a thought here that the work wasn't put in, um, the work wasn't put in to put the to, to put to make love the durable thing. In other words, there was a something other than love that led to them breaking up because people will say, well, we were in love, but maybe they weren't. Right. Um, And that's an excellent point. Look, I I do agree that there are relationships that are broken beyond repair. Sure. Uh, But most relationships are not. Unfortunately, we give up on them too quickly. And then you question, was there true love in that relationship? And if yes, why wasn't there uh, enough effort to truly salvage it, and to give our all so that it endures? That's the question I I often have when I sit with couples and I counsel them. And what is amazing to me is that I I think it's true about life altogether. It is the challenges of life that make us grow the most. Mm -hmm. I would challenge all of your listeners, including myself, to think of the moments of growth that they had in life. And I could almost bet that those moments in which uh, they had challenges were also the moments in which they grew the most. And I think it's true in relationships too. The moments of challenges are opportunities of growth. And if we don't embrace them and dig deep into them, we'll never be able to truly have our relationship grow. So instead of fleeing from the challenge, embrace it. And that is what will enable you to reach true love. That very point gets us to the essence of your podcast this week, which is that the notion of love in the Bible or in the Torah is connected, I think I'm quoting you directly, is connected to deed, connected to not just work, but to good deeds. Mm -hmm. And then you connect it to one of the most famous prayers that we find in Judaism, and we find it in this week's portion. It's known as the Shema, right? right? And it's about loving God. The work that it takes to love God and the work God is telling us we have to go through to show true love, it has to be expressed everywhere. How shall I put it? In your home, uh, you have to on your door frames, you have to show it um, in, in, not just in your heart, but as symbols on your hands and forehead. It, you, it, it's 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 a hundred and one percent effort. Right. Exactly. And you know, it's interesting because. Uh, even the word for love in Hebrew has within it the word giving. Okay. The word for love in Hebrew is ahava, and within ahava, that word for love, you have the word hav, which means to give. Mm-hmm. And that is because love can't just remain a feeling. If it's just a feeling, it's not love. Love has to be translated into giving, into doing. You know, just to put it simply, if I tell my wife, I love you a hundred times a day, and then she says, Oh, if you love me so much, can you take out the garbage? I said, no, I love you, but I won't take out the garbage. So what's my love worth? Love has to be translated into deed. And if it is not translated into deed, then it's just fake love. When we talk about 
the love of God for his people and the people wanting to show their love for God relate it to the kinds of things we should do with one another? Do we Should we look at it the same way? In other words, if, uh, if, if I love my wife, should I express my love to my wife with the same kind of thought process that I express my love to God or for God or uh, God for his people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And here, here I, I, I would like to introduce what may be seen as a revolutionary thought. But if we think about this, it's not because we love that we give. Mm-hmm. It's because we give that we love. Okay. I think that's the secret of the love we have towards our children. After all, we gave them so much. We're now invested in those relationships, and therefore we love them. And it's true in every relationship. The more we give, the more we come to love. Mm-hmm. Love is a byproduct of giving and not the other way around. The greatest writers on love that one looks to in the secular as well as in the religious, um, it's interesting. They all kind of agree on this point without perhaps making it explicit. I was just looking up uh, before you came some of the most popular books on love. And before I – well, I'll come back to that point. Why Why do we need books on love? That's a, that's a question that didn't <laughs> dawn on me until I just uttered that. We'll come back to that. I'm going to write it down, maybe put that in the back of your head. But yes. for, for instance, one of the most famous ones, been around for 20-plus years, is the five languages of love. You're, you, you're, you've probably been inundated <laughs> with this. But they're all actions, words of affirmation, quality time, meaning spending time, physical touch, acts of service, gifts, receiving – perhaps even giving. Right. Interesting, it's receiving in this in this case. Those are all actions. And a scholar I was very much interested in, who was very big in the 70s and 80s, taught at USC, wrote a lot of books on love and gave a lot of lectures. Many in the audience may know his name. He used to be on PBS a lot, passed away. Leo Buscaglia, he taught courses on love and wrote a book. His thesis was, love is a learned phenomenon. You have to learn love. I thought that was interesting, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And... Um I think that it is so true to the point that I would encourage, and I do that subtly in marriage counseling, but I would encourage every person that doesn't feel true love towards his or her partner mm-hmm. to start giving mm-hmm. and giving presents, mm-hmm. presents uh, of of actual material things or presents of time or presents of the written word of words of affirmation, as you just said, give start giving those presents on a consistent basis, and you'll see all of a sudden that you will have discovered that you actually love your partner more than you know. That's a continuous theme with things you talk about on the on our weekly get-togethers, Rabbi. That you can't um, you can't think your way into good acting, but you can act your way into good thinking. Emotions and feelings will follow actions. Actions. Don't follow emotions. And with love, like you said, well, you know, I can say I love you. Isn't that good enough? Well, it doesn't really mean too terribly much, does it? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, you know, Hollywood has spoiled that notion of love. We think that it's a feeling that carries us, and we don't have to work at it too much. But it's quite the opposite. Let me pick up with more of that with you. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Rabbi Alush's last name, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, his podcast on Apple Podcasts. And his congregation, Beth Tefila on Shea Boulevard. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, Rabbi Alush. Uh, Pinchas Alush is my guest. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. We're talking about his uh, topic of the week on his podcast, What True Love is All About. Professor, I was telling you about who passed away, Buscaglia. He said, uh, after all his research and writing on it, he says, I don't know that I can actually teach my audiences or my students love. I might be able to show it to them. Again, this action. Um, You see it. You probably know a couple of couples to which you say, now that's, that's, that's real. They've really got it. You know, they, they've really got it figured out. I, I worry that there's not enough of that around that can teach it. I worry that there's not an, enough enough loving couples, a loving or or marriages for that matter in society that that teach love to the broader masses. We have a big problem. We have a big marriage crisis. We have a big loneliness crisis in this country, and I think it's because not enough people example and evidence uh, the beauty of the love that they may have. Yes, and you're absolutely right. And I think it is because also love is portrayed as a goal in and of itself. While love really is only a byproduct of work, of giving, of selflessness. Uh, Like happiness, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, we can pursue happiness, but the question is if the pursuit of happiness actually thwarts happiness. If we can pursue self-fulfillment... Then we'll have happiness. Mm-hmm. Same with love. If we can pursue giving and devotion to the other, then we'll have love. So instead of those books being books on love, they ought to be books rather on giving. Yeah. And then love will be achieved. Yeah. But so long as we think that love is a goal in and of itself, we'll never be able to achieve it. It is interesting we need books on love. It's an interesting thing. Um, and I guess because it is, as we were saying a learned phenomenon. Dennis Prager has oft made the point that, you know, our defaults require us to study these things. If you go to a bookstore in the self-help section, we've talked about this, if you go to the self-help section, there are no books on how to be a worse person. There are no books on how to hate, for example. Mm. Um, So we know we still esteem this thing. Um, We know we still want this thing. Um, but it seems to take a lot of work to get it, and perhaps so much so that in the weekly portion, I mean, the entire book, Deuteronomy, is really a restatement. We need to learn this stuff twice, I guess. Isn't that what Deuteronomy really means, right? Right, yeah, and it's... Uh, it's the second time we get the Ten Commandments, too, right? That's correct, and it's Moses... One, once wasn't enough for us. <laughs> that's right. It, you know, like many things in life, we only learn them the second time yeah, around. right. Um, which at least is a good thing. Some For some people, it takes three times, yeah. five times, ten times. A little longer for me still. <laughs> but in a way, we are also learning now with uh, those lessons after 40 years of experience. You know, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, and they made many mistakes during yeah. those 40 years. But after 40 years, they have now enough wisdom yeah. to be able to look back and learn lessons, which, by the way, teaches us a different lesson also about relationships, that sometimes we shouldn't be... Uh, we shouldn't be depleted by the mistakes we make. Those mistakes really give us experience, give us wisdom. After the mistakes are made and after they are repaired, we can then look back and say, okay, we've learned a lesson. It has made us better. We have grown from it. And our relationship, therefore, now is a relationship in which we can begin to love. 
when you see a relationship break up or you talk to someone about a relationship that's breaking up, there's usually one or two things that are uttered about it, one or two reasons that are articulated for the breakup. I can't take this anymore. I'm sick of that trait. Not usually more than two or three. But it is interesting that we allow one of a very few things to tear asunder something as big as love, isn't it? We focus on these things. They may be big to you in the in the particulars, but they should be like I don't know um, a speck on a white shirt, perhaps in 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 the totality. And we let that determine too much, too, don't we? We let the 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 small the frivolous uh, perhaps uh, take over the critical. Right. That's you know it reminds me of that story about the professor who walked into his classroom and showed his students a black dot on a white paper. There it is. And he asked them, what do you see? Yeah. Most of them said, we see a black dot. Yeah. And his response was, well, there's so much whiteness yeah. on this white paper. All you can see is the black dot. Yeah. And you're right. Some relationships are like that, yeah. where we start to focus too much on those black dots. And we forget that there's so much whiteness. Yeah. And if we could open up our eyes to that whiteness, maybe our relationship not only can be salvaged, but also can be celebrated. <coughs> it's good advice. I'm, you, you, I don't know if you're a rabbi or sometimes you th- wonder if you're a psychiatrist, too, at times. I'm sure you have many duties. Rabbi Pinchas Solutius, my guest. Come back. I want to talk a little bit more about what's in Deuteronomy that we read this week. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Rabbi Alush spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. His podcast available on Apple Podcasts. Head of uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H. House of Prayer, it's on Shea Boulevard. All are welcome, Jewish or not, uh, observant or not. Rabbi, in this week's portion, it's... Um, it's, can you, I can never do the pronunciations. Can you? Uh, et Hanan. And it means it to. Means, and I will plead, right. plead my case. And who's doing the pleading here? So it's Moses doing the pleading. He was punished that after 40 years of leading his nation in the desert, he won't be able to enter the promised land together with them. And he pleads his case. And he says to God, well, maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe you can allow me to enter with them. After all, this has been my lifelong dream. And God refuses. But God does show him the entire land. He hikes on top of a mountain. And from there, he sees the land flowing with milk and honey. It's an interesting portion because not only of all that, but as we were saying earlier, it's a repetition of the Ten Commandments. And it gives us this prayer that we had made reference to earlier, known as the Shema, which is, is it fair to say that's the most well-known or famous prayer in Judaism? Yes. It's up there. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I think maybe it's the most dominant prayer, Uh because also it has become a prayer that has um, transformed into this testament of faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that Jews, including some of my ancestors, went to death with that prayer. They were being killed while saying this prayer. Um, because it is One is a, supposed to say it if they know they're dying, right? It's yes, supposed to be on correct. your lips. That's right. Yeah. It's part of the dying prayers mm-hmm. that uh, someone on his or her deathbed should say. Mm-hmm. And that is because that prayer is not just speaking about how we are completely devoted to God and God is completely devoted to us, but it speaks about 
the unique relationship we have with God through not just feelings and not just maybe seeing, but through listening. That's what the word Shema means, Mm -hmm. that we are able to listen to God, to listen to God without and to listen to God within. And when we die, we say to God, look, maybe we won't completely subscribe to you throughout our lives, but we promise you that we did some listening, that there were times in which we listened to our inner voice, which was your voice. So please accept those times as our offerings to you as we are transitioning from this world to the next. It's about following the laws and doing the deeds and the commandments that God wants you, and then it's an unrelenting uh, it's an unrelenting experience of engaging them. It's not just enough to do them once. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you wake up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, as we were saying earlier, and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Put them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's everything. It's everywhere. It's all the time. Some of this, I mean, to, to people who may not be familiar with Judaism, when they see an observant Jew, sometimes they might ask what, what some of the symbols are that they see, whether it's, whether it's the sideburns or whether it's uh, fringes coming outside of the pockets uh, near the pants. These are some of those signs and symbols. Simanim. Right. I once heard that word. I like that very much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And again, it goes to that idea that it's not our relationship with God is not just an emotion, but it's a deed. Yeah. But I, I, I want to point your direction to a, a very special verse in that Shema prayer because it says that those things, those things should be inscribed on your heart mm-hmm. and you shall teach them to your children. But it doesn't say in your heart. Yeah. It says on your heart. Interesting. And one of the great commentaries says that's because sometimes the heart is sealed, mm. whether it's my personal heart or the person that I'm trying to teach, that person's heart might be sealed. So we may think, well, let's give up then. Let's give up on that heart. But no, here the Shema is telling us, keep teaching it. Keep trying to inscribe those words because at one point the heart will crack Mm -hmm. and all these words will just seep in. Never abandon a person that seems so sealed. It's so interesting. And it's so interesting the impression, excuse me, the uh, incantation in the prayer that it's and it's not just good enough for you to do it, that you have to impress them upon your children as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the political realm, many of us are very fond of a speech Ronald Reagan used to give on this very point about preserving freedom, that it's not passed through the bloodstream. It has to be taught mm-hmm. uh, from generation down to generation. Uh, same thing here. There's an obligation to not just do it and keep it to yourself, which I suppose also is the point of symbolism too, the symbolism, the simonim, the signs. Right, right. But let me, let me also uh, uh, sharpen your words sure. here by saying that the order of the verses yeah. is also intentional okay. because it first says that you shall inscribe those words on your heart yeah. and then the, the following verse is and you shall teach them to uh, your children. Uh-huh. And that is because if you don't believe in what you say, yeah. you might try and teach those words but they won't go through. Yeah. Your children are cleverer than that. Yeah. They'll see the person, not just your words. So first inscribe them on your heart. First make sure that you are passionate about them, that you believe in them, that you have an open heart to them. And then your words, your education will be able to 
uh, go through and pass through in, in the most uh, uh, penetrating way. Yeah. Again, it's a behavioralist concept, isn't it? There's an old poem, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one, mm-hmm. right? You have to kind of – you have to see the – see these things, example them and evidence them uh, before you can expect people to listen to you or follow you or follow these things. One other question about this week's uh, portion that I thought interesting. We just have a few seconds left. It's a lot on idolatry. Mm-hmm. It's Idolatry is mentioned more than a few times, and not just in the Ten Commandments here. That's a big thing for, for Judaism, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And the reason is because idolatry is what stands as the antidote to our belief in God, which is really the very essence. But uh, let us remind ourselves that, yes, the Bible speaks about stone idols Mm -hmm. or maybe nature idols, but uh, there are many other idols that exist in our society too. Sometimes money is an idol. Our obsession to make money to our business is in and of itself an idol. We have to ask ourselves, are we deviating ourselves through those man-made idols from our divine selves? from God himself that is within us? And if the question is yes, then we may be worshiping idols too. Yeah, nicely put. Don't be distracted, one might say. That's right. Rabbi Pinchas thank you for being with us this week. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Seth. Welcome back, folks. You think about Stock market volatility, you think about the economy generally, talk of still a recession in the possible offing and inflation, which is far less than, far more than transitory, I should say. Where do you go to invest? Well, why Refi has an answer? Because they have a portfolio, an investment in a portfolio, the high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. With no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time, there are no fees. This is a secure and collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi, and they are headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road on the 101. I've been there, and I can tell you you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm. And you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. I, um, wanted to have, uh, I, I wanted to have two more hours with Rabbi Alush on the topic of love. Uh, I am fascinated by the issue, particularly when you think about how interconnected we all are through social media and through technology, and yet, at the same time, the phenomenon of loneliness is expanding so much, the kind of stuff I talk about with Pete Peterson as well, as we did earlier today. I'm trying to think of the Albert Schweitzer quote— there is so much togetherness, and yet so many people are dying of loneliness. It's a, um, it's 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 an interesting thing to me that this professor Buscaglia, who was really very impactful in the seventies and eighties, I was invoking earlier, professor from USC, he got into the issue because of a student of his 
a student of his who was a bright student and a very gifted student, and he thought one of the most popular students. And then she, he noticed, was no longer showing up in classes. And he went to the dean's office to ask and inquire about her, and the dean had to explain to Dr. Buscaglia that this student was no longer alive due to acts of her by her own hands. She took her own life. And it changed his whole perspective on how we're supposed to think of every individual as our mission, every person so valuable, and that though we may think someone is doing well, though we may think someone is popular, though we may think someone is talented, they need love and they need attention and we can't take anything or anyone for granted. Maybe that's a good thought to go into the weekend with. Thank you for the week, folks. Bless you all. God bless you all. Until Monday, I'm Seth and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.